another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I am your host, Tim Palmer. I am the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you can live your dream lifestyle. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. I coach entrepreneurs, speakers, coaches, small business owners at all levels how to build the business of their dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by the Dream Business Academy. That is a three-day live event. Our next one, it's our seventh event, is taking place in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, where I currently am on our floating home, uh, September 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is a marketing and a business building event where you will learn how to create a million-dollar platform, which is exactly what I've used to create my many businesses. Learn more at dreambusinessacademy.com. By the way, there's early registration discounts going on, and and also, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you can save $100 even off the early registration. That's PODCAST, coupon code at dreambizacademy.com. I'm really excited about this week's show. I was just um, telling my guests, I've interviewed a lot of people that were probably a couple decades younger than I am, so we're going to have a good chat about uh, leadership, which is certainly uh, needed not only in business but in, in all areas of our life. So let me briefly introduce my guest. Dr. Hans Pinzel is a successful author, speaker, and trusted authority in the field of leadership. For 20 years, he led international nonprofit World Venture, serving in over 65 countries. Today, he serves as president of HD Leaders. Hans speaks and writes on practical leadership principles from the real world, not just the classroom. He has written 10 books, including his bestseller, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, his books have been translated into over 20 foreign languages. Wow. After 30 years in the trenches of leadership, Hans just released his 10th book, The Top 10 Ways to Be a Great Leader. He asks every leader the question, what are the most important skills every leader needs to be effective? Each chapter of his new book outlines one essential skill every leader must master. Your listeners, my listeners, are going to benefit, I know you will, from Hans broad leadership experience and knowledge, and as an international leader and best-selling author, he delivers time-honored perspectives in an engaging and humorous dialogue. Well, we're going to find that out right now, Hans. How are you doing? Welcome to my show. Thank you, Jim. Good to have you on the show. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, we'll find out how engaging and humorous you are. Of course, I always bring a little levity to my program because I find if you can get people laughing, you can teach them something. So that's always it's been that's one of right. my goals. Yep. You know, I was um, really excited to read part of your book. And, um, you know, first of all, congratulations. I mean, first of all, ten books. I've written seven. I thought that was a major accomplishment. But be, to be translated into that many languages, I mean, that's that's quite a feather in your cap. It's that's actually really cool. I, I love it when, uh, in fact, I have all those books. They send them to me. Not that I can read them, but when I look at my uh, books in like Thai or Arabic or you know Portuguese, it's it's really cool. And I get good feedback from those countries. And uh, you know that's why we write books, isn't it? So we can touch people we'll never meet personally. Yeah, it is really cool. Some. People ask me sometimes, how do you, you know? How do you become a bestseller? I said, I've actually never tried to be a bestseller. I just want to sell as many books as I need to to help impact people's lives and to, frankly, grow my own program. That's the reason I do it because it's a it is a crap ton of work to write a yeah, book. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, 
By the way, um, early on when I wrote my first book, somebody was asking me about that, and with my wife in the other room, they said, is it hard to write a book? I said, it's kind of like giving birth, and she quickly corrected me about that. <laughs> it's nothing uh, like giving birth. <laughs> yeah, it but I always like a, say, I always yeah. say it's the closest that a man ever comes to giving birth. <laughs> yeah, it's Thank true, you it's for that. But I, I've said yeah. that for years because it is the closest a man will ever come because it is a lot like giving birth. And then when you finally it's, give birth, you want the world to think it's cute and love it, you know, and accept yeah. it just like a baby, you know. And, and I have found, um, I probably didn't find this out in my third book, but I found out that when you finally finish it and it's printed, the work is just beginning because <laughs> now you got to market right. it and do interviews oh, yeah. and speaking. Nowadays, yeah, nowadays with self-publishing, oh, my gosh, everybody has a license to publish. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I was reading in your in your bio, twenty years uh, leading an international nonprofit world venture. How did you get into the nonprofit world? Well, after college, uh, I went. I got my graduate degree, and uh, my wife and I moved over to Europe, and we lived there in Vienna, Austria, for ten years. And we just kind of decided to go that direction. And we have worked with a lot of nonprofit leaders our whole career. So we were trying to, you know, do good in a lot of places in the world that are less fortunate than we are here in North America. So that's how I got into it. And then uh, after 10 years over in Europe, uh, I was bumped upstairs to become the CEO of the, the entire global operation. So that's where I really got my leadership chops uh, in that in that arena. And did you have you lived overseas? Out of the U.S. for a long time, or are you in the oh, U.S. for now, ten or? years? Not now, okay. no. But uh, I live in Colorado now. But we lived in Vienna, Austria, for ten years of the early part of my career. I've served on a couple boards of nonprofits, and I got to tell you, with me uh, having an entrepreneurial mindset, which means I want to get something done an hour ago and not six months ago, <laughs> I found it quite challenging. And I don't know if that was the Lord saying, man, you got to work on your patience, and this is how we're going to do it, because when I got on this board, and non- it was a whole different world to me, the nonprofit world versus, you know, the world of entrepreneurialism. Had you very different. Yeah, did you, did you, I mean, did you kind of grow up in the nonprofit? Did it seem foreign, or is that what you no, got I your leadership jobs? The, I did not grow up in the nonprofit world, but I found that yeah, and, and it's it's frustrating for business people and entrepreneurs that try to go volunteer at nonprofits or get on boards, or even uh, through the years I hired business people to come into my staff to help us run our nonprofit more like a business, and it was always shocking to them <laughs> the slower pace of work in a nonprofit and also I mean a lot of times these guys would say you know they don't work as hard as we do in the business world I mean we would go out of business if we were as slow as these guys are especially meetings I found nonprofit meetings uh, go on forever and people chew topics to death because you don't have a bottom line that you're measured against Um, you know you don't have a year where you have to close in the black I mean you do in terms of fundraising but for some reason, things are a lot slower, and uh, it can be frustrating for people from the business world, the entrepreneur world, to try to shift into helping nonprofits. 
I'll tell you a real quick story. Two of my most challenging meetings were when they, when the, the uh, CEO of the nonprofit I was in found out my background is in marketing. He put me on this marketing committee, and my first uh, subcommittee meeting, we we spent almost an hour debating whether we needed a comma after the word "and" in the mission statement. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, are we right for real? And then there was one meeting when we we're doing the budget, and and they were talking about whether to give uh, the, the executive assistant a three percent raise or a two percent raise. And I said, exactly how much money are we talking about? It turned out to be like $900 a year. I said, can we just go around the table and come up with $900? It was like an hour discussion. It was so painful to me. Oh, listen, when, oh, I, first became C- when I first became CEO of our nonprofit, uh, my board met a whole week and met, micromanaged everything. I mean, that was back in the days of overhead projectors. You remember those? <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And, and every staff member had to get board permission for every single purchase, and then we would go line by line through everybody's salaries, and it was ridiculous. I mean, over the period of 20 years, I changed everything, and thankfully I had a board that realized, you know what, we're we're not doing board work here. We're actually trying to run this thing, and we need to let the staff run the thing, and we will do what boards are supposed to do. But it was a long yeah. journey of change. It was a long journey of change. <laughs> well, I want to ask you a question. It's a kind of a softball question. <laughs> what All makes right. great leaders great? You know, something nice and easy like that. What makes great leaders great? What have you found about that? Well, i tell you, uh, <laughs> if you ask 100 people what makes great leaders great, you'll get 100 answers. But since you asked me, I'll tell you, in fact, the L in the word leadership, you know, my new book, I've I've kind of outlined it. I've, I love top ten lists, okay? And uh, I figured out the word leadership has ten letters in it. And, and it just begged me to use that as the outline for the book, which I did. So the L in leadership, I think, is the most important chapter in the book, the first chapter. And L stands for listen and learn. Great leaders, the two most important words in their vocabulary is to listen and learn. And if you're a listener, you listen well, and you learn, you will be a great leader. So that's my short answer. Yeah, I I did notice that when I was looking at your table of contents. I noticed it spelled out leadership, which was pretty interesting. And I, I don't think, you know, you could look at all ten, and I don't think you could, one of them can't be taken away without affecting the other. But I, I got to tell you, Chapter Nine and Chapter Ten to me, I think, is, are very important. I don't want to say most, but I is for integrity, and P is for the power of humility. Um, I've always been really big on integrity, integrity, and I run uh, a, a few online businesses where things can get sometimes willy nilly. And I'm like, uh-huh. man, if we run a sale, if we run a sale, and one of our clients who's at a low, at a higher rate sees that, I said, we go and correct that. Because that is going to, you know, that's going to buy us a, a, a lifelong customer. We're not going to try and save ten bucks a month or something like that. And so, um, I've I've always been big on integrity. I, I I also believe that integrity will always come back to bite you in the butt. Well, the lack of integrity, I should say. Um, so, so how do how do how does that become uh, part of your book? I mean, any great le- stories to share there? Well, I mean, I've watched leaders that lacked integrity and it could be in tiny little 
things. I use the illustration of the Titanic. They figured out the Titanic was not sunk by one giant gash, but by a bunch of tiny little cuts. And to me, that's what integrity is like. If you start compromising and making shortcuts and being dishonest or not being truthful, you know, it, it'll it will bite you in the ass and it'll take you down and people will stop trusting you and they'll stop wanting to do business with you. So integrity is huge. There's nothing magical about it or new. It's just integrity. It's like who you are on the inside is what you project on the outside. Integrity to me is what you do in, in the dark when nobody's watching. And Warren Buffett, you know, he says, I, I quote him in that chapter, when he hires and interviews people, integrity is the number one issue. And if that doesn't line up, he doesn't go any further. So integrity is just huge. Let me say a word about the last chapter, the P, the power of uh, humility, because I think it's all kind of wrapped together with the first thing I said, which was listen and learn. If you were to ask me, uh, you, you asked me what makes great leaders great, but if you were to ask me what is the greatest characteristic of great leaders, I would say humility. Humility is just so key. And if you're humble and you're not just full of yourself and arrogant, to me humble is is just having a realistic view that you may be the boss, but that doesn't mean you're the most important person in the room. If you have humility, then people respect you, you will listen, you will learn, and you'll be a powerful leader. Yeah. I don't know um, who said it. I tend to think it was Winston Churchill, and I think – if I remember right, Ronald Reagan had this on his desk. Something to the effect of, "It doesn't. It, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit." Yep, um, that is what that's, Ronald Reagan had on his desk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the sign of humility. Uh, you you hire great. You surround yourself with great people. And another chapter that I love is the chapter on hands-off delegation. Delegation is so important in leadership, and so many leaders do it poorly because of this very problem. Uh, they want to control everything. They want to make all the decisions. They want to get all the credit. And I was actually talking to somebody day before yesterday, and they were just saying how hard it is to let go if you do a lot of things well. And the more I've learned, the more gifted you are and the more talented you are, the harder it is to delegate well, you know, because you can do it better and faster yourself. And so that's that's kind of really important to me, this whole issue of not being a control freak and not having to be everything. You have to get the credit for everything. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in complete alignment with you there. And I have a book, uh, Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger, and Chapter 3 is, is called Delegate or Stay Small Forever. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, <laughs> entrepreneurs by nature have, oh, nobody can do it as good or as fast or as cheap as I can, so why would I pay anybody else to do it? Well, if you want to be doing $20 an hour task work, that's what you're worth, you know. And um, one of the things that I found, I, I spent a good part of my early career in, in uh, retail, and it's not enough to hire and then train the right people. The missing ingredient I found was empowering them. And one of the ways I figured that out was that when something in, inevitably went wrong, whether a customer was unhappy or something happened, uh, people, I, I started observing that the, the workers in the store, their natural uh, reflex was to kind of protect the boss or protect the store. They want to do what's right for the customer, but they didn't want to give away the profits, so to speak. And I, I 
so I incorporated in my training program, I said, I'm empowering you to do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. I said, short, a, a, short, a loss in short-term profits will always be made up with long-term you know, growth of the business. So don't worry. If we got to give away a $10 pump or a, a $30 tire or something like that, we're going to have a customer for life, and that will make us far more money. So hire, train, but then empower them to do the right thing. And, and the biggest way that I figured out how to empower people, I'd love your opinion on this, is to make sure they know that if they don't do it correctly the way you would have done it, they're not going to be in any trouble. You might just have a conversation, thank them for taking the effort. Here's another way you might want to do it next time. What do you think, Hans? I totally agree. And I think people begin to sense the freedom once you don't correct them and you don't micromanage them. They will, um, you know, they'll, they'll start taking more control. They'll start taking more initiative. You know, if they realize, wow, my boss really is serious that I have the authority with the responsibility, and I can make decisions without getting in trouble. So, yeah, I, t- I could not agree with you more. You know, someone who's um, got got a, a wealth of experience and um, someone like yourself, you, we tend to learn by uh, making mistakes as well as doing good things. What? How did you learn some of uh, what you've learned and, and encapsulated in your, your latest book, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader? What are, what are some of the maybe the failures or the, or the missteps you might have made in your career? Well, you know, see, I, I am in my 60s now, so I, I, I consider myself a roaming man of leadership wisdom because I've made so many <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> All right, well, do share. <laughs> you know, you you do have to uh, earn your stripes and learn through a lot of failure. Probably uh, this whole thing about, um, again, humility. When I was in my 30s, early in my career, I had a massive leadership failure because I, I really was arrogant. I was self-consumed. It was all about me and my career. And I had a leadership team that rose up against me and said, we don't want you to be our leader anymore. <laughs> they voted me wow. off the island. And they. Uh, I said, why? It hurt so deeply. And they said, because, Hans, you don't really care about us. You just care about yourself and your agenda. You're really gifted. You're very talented. But you don't care about us. And we want a leader that cares about us. And uh, that was that was a painful lesson where I learned about servant leadership, that it's not about me, it's about we. And I have to quit being so absorbed, absorbed about my own career. If I, It's the old thing that Zig Ziglar said, if you help people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And I just yeah. had to have a real shift away from it was all about me. So that, in fact, I tell that story in that last chapter. I, I use a fictitious name, but at the end of the chapter I said, oh, by the way, this jerk was me. <laughs> mm, oh my gosh! Yeah, so was so that I've, maybe your uh, Hans? Was I'm just curious if that was like, for lack of a better description, was that your come to Jesus moment when you're rising, rising, and then all of a sudden it was gonna? You think everything's going well, and and you get really hit upside the head with a two by four, or what? Yes, it really was. Uh, exactly. I think it's Maxwell who said, uh, you know, your gifts might get you to the top, but they're not going to keep you there. And I rose yep. quickly because I, I was an author in my 30s. I was, you know, I, I can do a lot of good stuff, so my gifts got me to the top position. But then my my lack of, um, you know, really caring about the team and a lot of soft side. In fact, that's a great segue into Chapter 
too, the E in leadership stands for emotional intelligence, and I really lacked emotional intelligence. That's the the soft side of leadership. That's being self-aware of how you're coming across to others. And I actually had another come-to-Jesus moment maybe 20 years later, later in my career, where again I realized, oh my gosh, I... I have some blind spots because we change with as the years go on, and you're very different when you're 60 than when you're 40. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Uh, and and you have new problems that that develop and crop up. And uh, I had to again learn about. I love the topic of emotional intelligence because I began to realize, as I hired a lot of people and fired a lot of people, every person I ever fired, I fired because of poor emotional intelligence not because they weren't smart, because emotional intelligence are people skills, how you relate to others, how you resolve conflict, how you handle stress. And the people that I eventually had to fire, it was always because they were a disaster with the people that they worked with. You know what I'm saying? Not that they weren't Mm -hmm. smart, but they lacked emotional intelligence. And that's another area where I think I've grown a lot and the only way you can grow in emotional intelligence and learn about your blind spots is through feedback. And that can be sometimes very painful feedback. I had a 360-degree evaluation done because we were using 360s on our whole staff. And then my staff one day said, hey, what about you, Hans? You know, <laughs> What's good for the goose is good for the gander. When are you going to have your 360? And I did. And, man, it was Pretty revealing. Wow. I learned a lot. Yeah. It, it was painful. Was it anonymous? But it was Yes, unfortunately it was. And <laughs> and I don't I don't agree in anonymous three sixties. I am adamantly opposed to those, but that's what was done for me. And unfortunately if it's anonymous, you know, people that you work with for a long time that might have an axe to grind will take that opportunity to get back at you. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened. I laugh now because you know, that was a number of years ago, but I wasn't laughing at the time. You know, um, emotional intelligence, learning from what's going on around you, that that's a segue into uh, Chapter 3, which is accessibility. I know, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was kind of uh, in style or in vogue to say, I have an open-door policy, and then, I don't know, then we got into this discussion, seems to me, a while ago where people talk about extreme productivity and just, you know, figured out and things like that. Where do you, what do you think, let's talk about accessibility. How much accessibility should the top, the leader in the company have to um, subordinates? Well, I think you need to manage your accessibility. I was talking to an attorney just last Friday, and she said, Hans, I have an open-door policy, and I can never get anything done. <laughs> I said, well, well, there you go. <laughs> I said, you shouldn't have your door open all the time. You need to schedule your interruptions and schedule your accessibility, but you have got to have times. Maybe you need to go to another place to get that thinking work done or that reading work done, but... You cannot allow people. Accessibility is not you're available 24-7 uh, to live by the tyranny, the urgent of whatever anybody else wants of you. Then they are controlling your schedule. You're not controlling it yourself. But accessibility is really important, and I share in that chapter about uh, the story about this company that has this executive floor where all the big shots are, and in the lobby there's a spiral staircase <laughs> 
going up to the executive floor with a chain across it saying, do not enter. <laughs> Can you just <laughs> what get that? Signal. I know. I know. See, that's the old school approach to leadership, that the big shots are isolated and insulated from the common people. Well, oh what, my do you gosh. Suppose, what do you suppose the morale is like in that company? You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And they have their own chef up there, their own cafeteria, their own fitness center, and they never have to meet with the common people. You know, that those that kind of leadership should be gone, especially leading millennials. I'm actually working on my next book is about boomers and millennials thriving and working together. It is possible. Uh, but millennials demand accessibility to to their leadership, and they like to they respect leaders that they can work shoulder to shoulder with. It's to me more the the cubicle land, like the Mark Zuckerberg paradigm, where you're you don't have this isolated corner office, but you're out there with the troops, shoulder to shoulder, and that's accessibility. And, and especially millennials, they want to work with leaders that are accessible. Uh, here's an example. When I was the brand new leader, my predecessor also had his doctorate, and they called him Dr. Webster. And when I became the CEO, they started calling me Dr. Finzel. In fact, the day that I started, uh, the building manager put up a little sign by my parking space, which had been my predecessor's parking space, and the sign said, Dr. Finzel. <laughs> Well, I got there, and the first thing I did is I pulled that sign out and threw it in the dumpster. I think, you know oh, what? Geez. That that's not a good signal. I'm sorry. And then I told everybody, look, don't call me Doctor Finzel. I'm Hans. Okay, first name basis. It was hard for some of the people because the power distance that the previous leader had created was pretty, pretty big. But he was a World War II generation guy, and I was a boomer, and I was trying to decrease the power distance. And and I think it's more important than ever. Sometimes millennials will really get in your face, and you'll think it's disrespectful. It's not. It's just that the power distance has shrunk to, to almost non-existent. I think that's one of the greatest challenges facing uh, companies, large and small, today, is people just want to kind of dismiss Millennials and other people, oh, that's just rude. That's just, But, you know, it, that's how they've been brought up. You know, they, they, I, I know it drives me crazy. I won't go down this rabbit hole. But when you see, like, little babies laying in strollers with iPads strapped to the yeah. top, first of all, that's dead yeah. wrong. But it's this, it, when they're, by the time they go to work, it's like they're so attached to devices and instant communication, it makes it really hard. But that's a topic for another conversation. Yeah, it is. Um, that's the topic of my next book, uh but be be that as it may, it is what it is, and and I actually love millennials. If you're a millennial and you're listening to the show, I just want you to know I love your generation, and we boomers need to get out of the way and let you guys lead. But I think we can work well together if we understand each other better, and that's that's the journey I'm on is to appreciate the strengths of millennials. They do want to change the world. They do want to make an impact. I agree, and for and for better or worse, that that is the next generation, right? I mean, every, every generation it is, is going to get its crack at running things. Yeah, and it's a larger generation than the boomers. It's going to be 82 million people. It is, and boomers were just 76. So hey, you know what? <laughs> we better we better get used to working with millennials because they are taking over the world. 
<laughs> well, I could really uh, talk to you for another hour, but um, sadly our time is running out. Hans, how can people get a copy of this book, and uh, if they want to connect with you, if, I don't know if you're on social media, or give us a little bit I of your uh, 411. I'm on, I'm on all the platforms. Um, best thing is to go to my website, hansstenzel.com. That's H-A-N-S-F-I-N-Z-E-L, hansstenzel.com. Or if you buy your books on Amazon or other booksellers, just type in my name and you'll see all my books come up there. But my books are available wherever books are sold, but, and you can contact me and find see my. I have a lot of podcasts and videos uh, at hansfenzel.com. Well, that's great. And with a name like Hans Fenzel, see when they when people Google Jim Palmer, they come up with the old Baltimore Orioles pitcher. So I got to fight that. I think they're going to go they're going to go right to your page. <laughs> uh, oh, that would be nice. And yeah, uh, right. if anybody, if you listening have a question, just uh, there's a contact tab, and I do read all the email that is sent to me, and I'd love to connect with you. Well, Hans, it's been a great pleasure meeting and connecting with you today. Thanks so much for a great interview. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Dream Business Radio. Thanks to uh, Dream Business Academy for sponsoring the show. Again, you get $100 off your uh, registration if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout. That's dreambizacademy.com. I'm your host, Jim Palmer. Until next week, another great episode. You take good care.